Hello and welcome back to the Bible Companion series with P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Exodus chapter 23. Verses 1 through 9, Laws of Justice and Mercy. Here are further miscellaneous case laws given to the people through Moses and Aaron on the mountain by God, which will further serve to distinguish the nation of Israel from those around them. The first says, do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. This is self-explanatory, reminding them that God requires truthfulness. Then we see the danger of groupthink or peer pressure. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. Then we're told that people need to show proper concern for their neighbor's belongings and not claim it's not their problem. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. They were to be impartial to whom they gave aid. Even their enemies were entitled to help. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. These all relate to equity and justice in court cases. While verse 4 cautioned against favoring the poor in a dispute, verse 6 warns against the other extreme of denying them justice altogether simply because they were poor. That it is followed by the warning against accepting a bribe shows that some judges could be corrupted when the defendant or accuser was a rich person and could attempt to sway the verdict in their favor. Then another reminder, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Verses 10 to 13, Sabbath laws. Not only do people need to rest on the weekly Sabbath, but God instructs them to let the farmland rest, unplowed and unused, every seven years as well. <clears throat> they were to sow their seeds, vineyards and olive groves, and harvest their crops for six years. During that time, poor people and wild animals can eat from it. This practice appears to be unique to Israel. This would teach them dependence on God. Later, they would fail to do this, and the length of their exile would be directly related to the number of years they failed to allow the land its Sabbath rests. 2 Chronicles 36.21 Because for 490 years they failed to let the land rest, so the exile lasted 70 years, or 490 divided by 7 years. God warns, I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the times that it lies desolate. The land will have it, the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. This law is called Shemitah, 
Modern Jews get around this by selling or leasing their land to non-Jews for that year so that it can continue to be cultivated without a pause. That's from an article in the New York Times. Then a reminder to keep the Sabbath, working six days and doing no work on the seventh. God even gives a reason, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. God recognizes the need to allow servants and animals to rest as well. Everyone needs a day off. It makes them more productive. Then, for emphasis, God says, Be careful to do everything I have said to you. He expects obedience. They can't pick and choose which laws to obey. He forbids idolatry among his people. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Implied in this prohibition against idolatry is the concept of intermarriage with pagans, since the marriage ceremony they would invoke uh, the names of their gods. Verses 14 through 19, the three annual festivals. Although they are not in the promised land yet, and no central location within it is chosen, God anticipates that day, because he knows he will make it happen. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. These joyous celebrations would serve to unite the new nation socially and religiously. Then he specifies them. <clears throat> Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Aviv, for in that month you came out of Egypt. So this was the week associated with the Passover, commemorating their exodus from Egypt. Sacrifices and offerings would be associated with this, so God says, no one is to appear before me empty-handed. The second festival was the festival of harvest with the first fruits of the crops up in their fields. This was an expression of gratitude for his provision. This was sometimes called the Feast of Weeks and later called Pentecost. It occurred 40 days after the Passover. They were also to bring the first fruits of their crops to the house of the Lord. First fruits implies not just the first of their crops, but the best. The third and final festival was the festival of ingathering, also called the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. We'll study them in more detail as we are given more information. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the Sovereign Lord. This would empty um, the land of men in every place but the chosen city. They had to trust that God would keep their families and land safe from attack by enemies, which he promised to do in Exodus 34, 23 and 24. <clears throat> do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Yeast was forbidden because it represented sin. Fat was not allowed to remain till morning. Fat was considered one of the best parts of the animal and was to be given to the Lord and never eaten. It was included with offerings as early as Abel in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 4.4. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. This obscure verse seemingly dropped into an unrelated section has been questioned by many commentators. Some excavations of Canaanite ancient cities suggested such a practice for sacrificial kid goats. If that's the case, then Israel was being prevented from copying pagan idolatrous practices. 
Another suggestion is that since it specifically mentions its own mother's milk instead of just milk in general, then it seems incongruous to boil a dead kid in the substance which sustained its life. But these are both speculations. Verses 20 through 26, God's angel to prepare the way. God says, See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Here we see someone introduced as an angel. He is mentioned again in Exodus 32:34. He is sent by God. This is not Moses, as God is telling Moses about him. He is distinguished as separate from God, but he will guard them along the way and bring them to the place he has prepared for them. They are to pay attention to him and listen to him. They are not to rebel against him because he has the ability to forgive or withhold forgiveness like God, and God's name is on him. They were to listen carefully to him and do both all that he says and all that God says, again showing that they are separate but unified. Then God promises to be an enemy to their enemies and oppose those who oppose them. This angel will go ahead of them to wipe out the nations who are currently inhabiting Canaan, and he will bring them into the land. The reason for their victory will not be their military skill, but the presence of God with them. This angel is believed to be a theophany or an appearance of Christ before his incarnation. Uh, then God says, Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. He reinforces this in Exodus 34.13. They were to, to destroy any pagan symbols. Then he promises blessings if they only worship him. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. In Exodus 15:26, he had promised to not bring any of the sicknesses he placed on the Egyptians, but he would be their healer. So his command was good and reasonable, worship the only true God, and the benefits were many, good harvests and water supply, fertility and healthy pregnancies, and a long life. Verses 27 through 30, military victory assured. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, and Hittites out of your way. <clears throat> they were assured of victory because it was God who would fight for them. The nations they encountered would be afraid of them and be thrown into confusion. They would flee in terror and panic. This happened several times. There is a debate as to whether these are literal hornets or not. I personally think they are literal because that is a quick way to make a large group of people leave quite suddenly. It also mentions them in Deuteronomy 7.20.
An alternate view is that the B symbolized Egypt, and Egypt made several military strikes into the regions that Israel would later inhabit, thereby weakening Canaanite resistance. God says, but I will not drive them out in a single year, because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you, until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. The occupation of the land would be gradual but steady. The land was fertile, but if left to itself, wild animals would overtake it. Verse 31, Borders of their land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Mediterranean Sea and from the desert to the Euphrates River. Here God gives broad geographic descriptions of their borders. Later, each tribe's land area will be given in detail in Numbers 34. This fulfills the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 15. Then he says, I will give into your hands the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. God himself promised to drive out the people so they could take possession. It was his to do as he saw fit. Once there, they are reminded, Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land, or they will cause you to sin against me, because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Covenants or treaties were accompanied by the names of the nation's gods, so this was not an option for Israel. God knew that if they allowed the inhabitants of Canaan to remain, syncretism would soon result. Deuteronomy 20, 10-18 spells out how they were to deal with nations outside of the territory that God was giving them. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or the Gospels do we find in this chapter? God has always been concerned with justice, as Jesus also was. They were to help their enemies as well. We are to love our enemies. The Sabbath allowed for rest and refreshment. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. We no longer work towards our salvation, as well as our future heavenly rest. God expected worship, and that they would not come to him empty-handed. We are still required to worship him and bring spiritual sacrifices, our bodies as living sacrifices, doing good and sharing, and praise and thanksgiving. The angel of the Lord, often identified as a Christophany or a Theophany, showed that Jesus himself was leading the children of Israel through the desert. God fought for them and would defeat their enemies. Jesus is our defender and will defeat our enemies. The Israelites were warned to avoid syncretism and idolatry. We are to remain pure in our worship of God. God would drive their enemies out little by little. Our sanctification is gradual throughout our lives. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Exodus chapter 24. May God bless the study of his word.